and welcome to another episode of the GovX Show. I'm Tim Coulthard, Marketing Director here at GovX Digital. This episode we've got a slight change in direction. Rather than interviewing one of the speakers ahead of our event in November, we're talking instead to Amy Keane, who's one of the co-founders of an organisation called DICE, which stands for Diversity and Inclusion at Conferences and Events. We've been working with DICE for a few months now as we built our agenda. They support organisations like ours in creating truly diverse and inclusive events that appeal to a wide audience. For us, it's been a great learning experience collaborating with them. So we wanted to invite Amy onto the show to talk through what we've learned and find out more about the great work that DICE is doing. So here she is. So Amy, welcome to the show. It's uh, great to have you here. I am honoured to be a part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I think you might be the first person to say they're honoured rather than happy to be here. So you're already, you're already winning. Um, I've probably spoken a little bit about uh, DICE before, but tell us a bit about you and your story and your sort of background and how you came to be involved in the project and, and what the project's about, really. Uh, Okie dokie. Well, I've, I am, for my sins, an advertiser. So I've worked in advertising for about 16 years now, all over the world. And there's something about, in advertising, we love an event. <laughs> so every day, twice a day, thrice a day, you'll have panels, you'll have conferences, you'll have fireside chats. Um, we're constantly thought leadershiping, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's constantly a flurry of these things um, kind of all over the place. and and. I have often been the token woman. So over the years, and, and more so, you know, like 10 years ago, um, I would get drafted in last minute to be the woman on a conference lineup to talk about whatever the hell was left yeah. on the internet. Um, so over the years, I have talked about stuff that I have zero expertise and competence in just to make up the female numbers. Um, one of the things that I noticed over the years is that... Um, Often, regardless of the subject, uh, conferences and events organisers will celebrate only the views of white middle class men. There's a phrase that we use, which is manals, um, which is shortcut for an all male panel. Um, and even over the last few years, it surprises me how often uh, a, a, an events company will kind of brazenly go out showcasing only the views of white men. and. I am quite vocal. I, I'm quite opinionated. I have a, 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 a mediocre following on Twitter. Um, and every time I saw one of these uh, manuals, I would call it out and people would get upset with me and everyone would get really kind of riled up. And, and it was happening every week uh, to the extent that I got sick of doing this because I have so many other things I'd rather talk about than sexism and racism although they're kind of, you know, everywhere in our society. So me and some industry peers, particularly without, in advertising, decided to create something that would almost force events organizers, not just in advertising, but in every industry, to be inclusive and to consider more than just the white, straight, middle-class men in their bubble when they were creating um, conference lineups. And, and the reason why we wanted to do that was because if you're part of an industry and you're at an event, an event is supposed to represent, you know, the industry in its entirety, its future, its thoughts, its best practice. If you don't see someone who looks or sounds or thinks like you on a stage, 
how on earth would you believe that you belong in that industry? So we decided to create DICE, which stands for diversity and inclusion in conferences and events. Okay, so you, you went from perhaps being a, a sort of thorn in people's side to, to saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of step up to the plate and do something that's going to make a difference. I'm still I mean, a thorn. Yeah, in a, in a good way, in a good way. So, I mean, where do you start with this? Because there are events in almost every industry. It's, it's, a, it's a big space, whether it's the events business itself or as a kind of adjunct to, to other industries that kind of just do small events and stuff. So between you and your kind of co-founders, how do you, how do you start to tackle what is, by everybody's admission, a big problem and a big challenge? So what, the first thing that you do is you remove the feeling, you remove the emotion, you remove the opinion. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk in diversity and inclusion. It's been proven by many research studies that actually too much talk in the DNI space can be counterproductive because it creates this kind of smoke and mirrors illusion that stuff's happening when sometimes it's not. Um, so we actually took inspiration from the pharmaceutical industry, which is surprising. Um, uh, but uh, one of our DICE co-founders has a friend who works in the pharmaceutical industry and they have lots of conferences about new drugs and trials and things. Um, and one of the things that this guy noticed who works within the pharmaceutical industry is there was one major demographic that was never on the stage. that was never included in any of the content in pharmaceutical events and that was patients. Uh, which we thought was a was a, a, a massive shame and also a travesty. Uh, so he created a charter called Patients Included, which unemotionally set out all the different ways that you could include patients in your thought leadership and at your conferences, ranging from ask them, <laughs> uh, get them to present all the way through to, you know, if they can't afford to attend a conference, pay for them to attend a conference. Um, what this guy did was just put it up on a website and encouraged all the pharmaceutical companies and conference organizers to follow it. And over a few years, they started to. We didn't feel like we had a few years, so um, we were slightly more forceful in our approach. But um, what we did in order to take the emotion out of it was base um, our charter on the 2010 Equality Act. Yeah. So the 2010 Equality Act, for people who aren't well versed in it, has nine protected char characteristics. So they're the different areas where it is illegal for you to discriminate against a human being. So that includes sex, gender, religion, you know, sexuality, disability, age, and so on. So we based it on that. Um, and what we did was create a charter that sets out what an inclusive, non-discriminatory event would look like. Um, and then we also based it on national statistics. So I think the BAME population in the UK is something like 84%. Um, so when you're talking about non-white participants of an event and how to make an event diverse in that sense, you have to be kind of sensitive to how many people are in the country yeah. um, and the population's weighted. So we created a charter that's both an educational tool, but also a, a, I call it self-regulatory framework um, that events organizers can abide by. And what I do is I ram it down people's throats <laughs> as much as I possibly can. Um, so I, I know one of the kind of key messages that you have is that you're not the diversity police and yeah the idea that this is about a sort of collaborative approach where 
okay, there's a problem here, but we'll sort of work together in a sort of positive way rather than just sort of pointing people out and saying, you could be better at this. Um, so, I mean, it's been from inception come maybe a year now. How's it? How's it's it? Been? Fantastic. Congratulations. We should, I should have brought a cake, but uh, <laughs> I'll light a virtual candle later for you. Um, what's, what's the reaction been like in terms of, I guess, people that, people that want to sort of become die certified, uh, you know, are going to be sort of positive about it. But then there might be other events or organizations who are just sort of standing afar and still waiting to see how it goes are you getting feedback sort of from from your immediate circle and then people maybe sort of further removed who are just keeping that watching brief um the feedback i was surprised at the splash that it made when we launched um well it's we, we've been working on it a year yesterday but we officially launched it to the world in february just before when life was still normal yeah. and events still happening in real life. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised at the, I was so nervous um, putting it out there because I was anticipating a backlash because I know that lots of events organizers work very hard. I know that it's not always easy to cu curate a diverse lineup. I know that a lot of events companies churn out events. Yeah. Um, so they don't necessarily have the time. So I was, very nervous and we planned the PR rigorously. So um, I was surprised at how positive the response was. Yeah. I will say, and I don't know whether this is controversial, but it is true that the only pushback that we received, um, and I, I personally received some negativity via DMs on Twitter, right. was, from, was from white men, okay. um, without exception. So, you know, in this era, particularly with, you know, Black Lives Matter kind of gaining even more traction within our culture, I've learned a lot about white fragility mm -hmm. <laughs> and defensive yeah. and, 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 and unfortunately some of that came into play. So there was a, there was, there was a, a small amount of fragility and defensiveness when we launched it. Um, that's disappearing. Okay. Now see that Events like yours, you know, where the lineup is wholeheartedly diverse. I mean, you've got a score of 100% in our certification process. It makes a better event. It's yeah. more interesting. It's more dynamic. There's more, there's a range of thoughts. Yeah, that's, that's one um, of the things we'd like. I think it's really interesting to unpack that because, you know, you could argue that there's a reason to do this, which is about the way the event appears externally uh, you know there may be some organizations that will initially go down that route but clearly you know whether it's kind of organizational performance or in terms of a, a product like an, an event the diversity in the lineup a produces more interesting creative dynamic innovative topics conversations but also the signal it sends out to the potential audience is that this is for you. You can be here. You have a seat at this table. And I think, you know, in the space where we're working in public sector and civil service, there is a historic underrepresentation of different uh, minorities, whether that's based on race or religion, educational background, all kinds of factors at play. Uh, and our experience so far has been that by building a very diverse agenda, we have an entirely different sort of feel about the event. 
our speakers who come on board are incredibly motivated to sort of make it a success. So, you know, I work in marketing, but I would say really, I'm just sort of facilitating a program of co-promoting the event. Lots of our speakers are very active on social media and sort of sharing the fact that they're involved. They have really vibrant networks in terms of whether it's kind of social media or professional networks. Uh, the civil service race form have been incredibly supportive of us. So my message to kind of events professionals listening is this stuff works. This isn't about, okay, I've been set a quota by the MD or we need to look better because it's kind of negatively impact, impacting our brand. You will have a better product. You will have a better audience. Everybody wins in this. So that's, that's what we're finding even, um, even in the last couple of months where the agenda has been up and live we've been really, you know, it's great to have the dye certification, but it, this, this stuff really counts and makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. And what I love is the, um, God, any, anything that's new and anything that's different is always a pain to do in the process. I've worked in innovation for years, anything, anything innovative, anything that seems to be progressive by its nature, you won't have done before. So it's not going to be easy. But the pride, like, you know, we're in the double figures of um, events that we've certified now. Okay. The pride that people feel when they've been die certified, particularly when they get a high score, is so life-affirming. Um, kind of makes it all worth it. And, and we, so recently we had um, a massive conference uh, on disruption um, that's normally based in India. But it's a global conference and it's called Z-Melt. And um, about three weeks before the event, there was a big uh, tornado of critique <laughs> in social media because all of their headliners were white men um, of a certain age as well. Yeah. Um, and whenever there's this tornado of fury, DICE inevitably gets mentioned and I have to get involved <laughs> and not being the diversity police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I offered to help them uh, fix it. Which wasn't easy because it's a, it's a massive event with hundreds of speakers. Um, but they had like something like 60% men. They had something like, you know, 90% white. Um, we had two weeks, I had two weeks to try and help them fix it, which was extremely intense and, and you know, sometimes unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we did it. We managed to get them die certified with a score of 90%, which is ridiculous. Wow. Um, uh, and the pride and the way that it's kind of changed their business now, the way that they see their own profession and the way that they see their own jobs is, is, is done a total 180. Like it's totally changed, um, their business, I guess, which is, which is excellent. Uh, it's a really interesting part of this because the sort of how things get done versus why things get done is an, is part of how we've ended up in this situation i think so as far as i'm aware nobody's ever set out to create an incredibly badly conceived non-diverse agenda yet there's a sort of structural problems in maybe the way events are created or potentially wider structural problems in the industry that, that they're working in you know so if there's a historic underrepresentation of women in a particular sector you're going to struggle to find women to speak about it at the event from a sort of statistical point of view that doesn't mean it's not possible but nevertheless you know proportionally you're going to find it harder so when when you're 
working with or if you're advising somebody who is putting together an event to do this how can they keep the the question of diversity and inclusion front of mind because i know you know that when you're building an event there's a lot of pressure there are targets to be here you know we need x number of speakers a producer might have a weekly target to hit and from a sort of personal protection point of view they're gonna they're maybe gonna yeah. take the easier wins because yeah. at the end of the day they can report back and say yeah i was supposed to get six speakers and i got six yeah. further down the line the problem will come back because somebody then takes an external view or finally comes up for air and sees that perspective and go this isn't this is an appallingly imbalanced agenda we need to fix it and fixing it when it's already there is way harder than building it right from the get-go so have you, uh, it's not easy but have you got any thoughts on how um events can sort of be put together in a more diverse and sustainable way from the start the main thing is start planning earlier this is the amount of events organizers i i interact with um tend to be very last minute they tend to focus on the headliners the, the big names and i say that in inverted commas mm -hmm. the traditional big names um that they think will draw an audience and then they'll be they'll be securing speakers for the lineup you know a week out a, a few days out especially for panels um that are considered to be slightly less important so it's so practical and it's so boring but even if it's a money-making exercise even if you are an events company you have to start earlier um and also another thing that i've noticed is that a lot of events curators generally tend to um wait for prs to come to them right yeah uh, they generally have a bubble that they function within and you know they know someone and they know someone and they know someone and that's how you get these all white all male panels a lot of the events organizers that i've been working with don't know that a lot of communities exist so i've been introducing them to you know when we created the dice charter we had to it's such a sensitive subject subject we had to make sure that we weren't going to upset anyone we had to make sure that we weren't going to rubbing anyone up the wrong way so we we had a month or so of consultancy with loads of different diversity groups that represent age disability women classes race and 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 sexuality the lgbtq plus plus community we worked with all of those diversity groups to make sure we had something robust events organizers don't know that these groups exist they don't know that these pockets of communities are there and so part of our task is it just is introductions Regardless of the industry, it's introducing curators to all these different communities. I think that's a shame because years ago I worked in events, years ago, right at the start of my career. And one of the amazing things about producing event, an event was the serendipity of finding someone that no one else had found, um, of kind of uncovering a talent that no one else had uncovered yet. But that passion seems to have been lost i guess as events becomes bigger and bigger business yeah i mean there's a there's a sort of there are types of organizations that are kind of cookie cutter events and you, you could see what they're doing a mile off i think yeah our experience has been exactly that that by taking longer you, you do better so have conversations and you don't need to have a conversation with you know a public sector executive with the sole focus of at the end of this conversation i want them to say yes to speaking at the event it might be actually if we learn something whether that's about the subject matter they're working with or whether that's uh part of a kind of 
support network they're part of or a, a talent development program they're working in yeah. all, all these things kind of spiral out from there and you suddenly realize you you don't need to make every conversation transactional it's about learning about the subject it's about learning about the community and the audience that you're going to be working with uh and and i know james who is our content director he found constantly during the process of building the GovX agenda that every conversation was a surprise and led somewhere else and somebody would recommend somebody and recommend someone and that's maybe it's easy in the kind of frenetic world of targets and stuff to, to lose sight of that and it's a, it's become slightly mercenary of your reason for approaching somebody and yeah. I, I circle back to where I, what I said earlier is that we now feel like we're working with a community of people as opposed to your potentially a customer or your your, your potentially of value uh, so that's that's been a sort of incredible thing for us no one thing one thing that sort of sprung to my mind when you mentioned earlier it's not it's not been a usual year and in, in when you launched in february the world was a very different place do you think there's any part of um, sort of scraping the, the cloud for silver lining do you think there's any part of uh covid pandemic that because everybody's sort of pivoting to being digital and virtual events um although we were always going to be a native virtual event we were never going to be a physical event but everybody else had to kind of do the same thing has it removed some barriers to entry in terms of who can quote attend an event because you know there are no travel costs or whatever and then has it also made the idea of being a speaker or a participant of an event less daunting because you're not standing up on a stage in front of 500 people you're sort of sitting in your office or your home office or whatever just talking like we are now do you think could that be a lasting shift in how people think about and create events I think over time, but I don't think, I don't think it's happened yet. So we've had more flagging of all male, all white events in the last couple of months than we ever have. It's weird. I think because also so many events organizers pivoted really quickly. Mm -hmm. There was an element of panic. So the amount of events, the amount and the frequency of events, I, I think has increased. Um, over the last however many months um a huge amount of webinars a huge amount of virtual conferences just kind of events companies just churning them out to stay relevant um i think that's actually negatively impacted the um a lot of lineups i think what we did see rightly or wrongly god this is a long conversation but around the time of the black lives matter i'm going to call it resurgence because it's always been it's always been here um uh, when a lot more people paid attention there were lots of diversity conferences mm-hmm. um, that forced events organizers to look further afield but black people don't only talk about diversity yeah um, and, and and so what i'm seeing is some of those same events organizers not re-inviting the people that spoke at their diversity events to talk okay. at their their industry events um, also another thing that's really interesting and we've tried to shy away from this in the charter that we've created is payment, the subject of payment. Um, So the one thing that we say, there's a point in the charter uh, about class and education. Um, Class and education isn't in the 2010 Equality 
text, but we thought it was still important. What we say is try and encourage to have speakers who weren't privately school educated, or if uh, if a speaker can't pay to attend, then pay their travel fees, accommodation, or whatever. Um, that's as far as we went. But what we're finding is that with virtual events, a lot of companies aren't paying their speakers. Um, which, if that's how someone makes their money, you know, if their public profile is how they make their money, it's actually, um, it, it can be quite a, it's, it's a negative thing. So we're trying to say. It, it smacks a bit of exploitation in the sense of, well, <laughs> everybody needs to keep their profile front and centre in this kind of weird yeah. time, remain relevant until you know the world kind of starts moving and, the, and, and money starts flowing again and yeah, yeah you, you can see how you can see that that might happen but it sure sure isn't right um yeah that's for sure that's for sure um I'm, I'm wondering about um the way in which events sort of start to work with you um do you do they approach you or do, do you sort of like spot them and say oh, you need our help or is it a kind of mixture of the two? Yeah, it's a double pronged. So we get, um, increasingly, we're getting loads of event organizers coming to us as soon as they start organizing an event, and an event which is amazing, saying, how do we get DICE certified? Um, that's brilliant, because then I can tell them upfront, before they've even approached any speakers, this is how you do it. Come back to me when you've done it. Increase, that's about six, 60% of the events organizers that we work with now. The remaining is, it's, it's, it's quite an, un, it's not the nicest of situations for me to work in because for the remainder, it's people that have been called out. It's people who are stressed because they've done something wrong. It's people who are terrified that their reputation's on the line that I have to try and help. Um, they, they get brought to us. Um, and they engage with us reluctantly. Um, but that's the nature of the beast. You know, if you want, change isn't easy. Otherwise, things would change all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've had lots of um, really tense conversations with very upset people um, about changing their events when they've been called out. But so be it. Yeah, it was it was always likely to end up in that way for certain conversations. Yeah, yeah I can see yeah. how I can see how you just have to roll with that one. Um, if if a company or a, or an, I mean not necessarily a company it can be an organisation or a public sector body is organising an event, and they feel like they've got this anyway, they've you know we 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 think about this, we we've built this into the way we work and operate. Why why would you say? have a conversation with you guys anyway i mean i think it, i think i know why that might be the good thing but what would you say to them if they think no we'll, we'll be okay going it alone we're we've got this so one of the things that people don't uh always think about when they're producing an event is well I, this is going to sound really patronizing and awful but the event in its entirety um so uh curators predominantly think about the lineup um, the DICE Charter actually covers the people that speak, but also the content and the extent to which, you know, case studies or, you know, different sessions don't exclude older people or don't exclude the LGBTQ plus community, like the, 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 you know, how the, how the audience feel and whether they feel, they feel included, um, but also the marketing. 
and the accessibility of the event itself. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a load of, and that is, you know, you consider um, people with disabilities. It ranges all the way through to, you know, the amount of events that I've been to where the slides, the slides on the screen use a teeny tiny font that mm -hmm. hasn't considered people that can't see with 2020 vision. Um, there's, like we say, uh, DICE is an educational tool as much as it's a regulatory framework. Um, and so I haven't found any events organizer that's thought of every single one of these things. So. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, a concept and a topic that's multi-dimensional. I think yeah. by their very nature, you can't see your own blind spots. Um, I mean, we were having conversations the other day on another podcast we were talking about sort of diversity in teams and you, you might take an approach which is very rigidly looking at things like ethnicity, gender, age, but then there's also another sort of dimension of diversity which is around personality type or career stage or whatever. So the point, the, the, the question, the example I just gave, it was a team of very similar driven people with sort of university backgrounds who were kind of go-getters and stuff. So everybody sort of acted and behaved in the same way, irrespective of their gender or ethnicity. Yeah. So you then have this other sort of layer of actually we're not diverse because we've all kind of got a group thing going on now and, and therefore yes. nobody's really going to challenge the status quo in terms of our, our kind of approach to a certain topic or a certain issue. And I think, that's yeah. one of those again like the external perspective is crucial on that because you could probably jump on a on a even on a zoom call you know with limited meetings and and you sort of go oh here's here's an events team there's six of them and they're all kind of sound the same in terms of the way they act and the way they behave yeah. and their aspirations and whatever yeah um one of the areas that i mean i think the the biggest area for improvement across the board is disability and neurodiversity. Neurodiversity is still a, an area that not that many people are familiar with um, and the different, because it's, it's largely invisible, yeah. um, the, 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 the different kind of um, psychological or mental conditions that, uh, uh, that sit within neurodiversity. Um, that's an area where people need a huge amount of education because even, even I mean, you wouldn't go so far as um, covering introversion and extroversion, mm. but one of my one of my big passion points is that I hate I hate to see a conference where everybody presents the same, everybody has the same personality, everybody talks in the same way. Yeah. Um, not only is it not diverse, it's not really diversity of thought, but it's boring. Yeah. Again, it makes people think that they need to behave a certain way, they need to act a certain way, they need to dress a certain way in order to fit in. Um, that's I mean that's an area that I feel really really passionately about coming from like a working class background always had a chip on my shoulder about my accent <laughs> but you know even areas like this you know is exactly to your point people just don't think about it people yeah. just yeah and that that yeah. kind of brings us nicely back to to where we kind of started in some sense of diversity in in whichever sort of facet of it you're thinking about can deliver a better product and a better experience because it's, it's about pace or style or ideas or you know, the look and sound of an event or any experience enough to be event does it you know if it's same 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 i mean okay you might want to binge on 24 episodes on netflix but sitting 
in a professional event you yeah. don't want the same after again and again and again um mm. so amy i think it's been it's been a really interesting conversation uh i think you know we would say at govx digital that working with you and just conversations with you have really forced us to think differently so thanks so much for joining us uh it's been fantastic to have you with us and i think we, we want to carry on working with you because i think you'll keep us sort of <laughs> on, on the straight and narrow but also in terms of as emerging issues and topics come about we'll yeah. keep up to speed with them so thank you for joining us Pleasure. I have never, of all the people that I've worked with over the last year, you've, you guys have, you've embraced it so much. Um, and you were so, I don't know, it's just so positive about the journey uh, that it's been, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And it kind of reminds, it's reminded all of us at DICE, obviously DICE is a team, it's not just me, it's reminded all of us why we've done it and that we're doing the right thing. We also, we don't want it to last forever because it is voluntary. So we want, you know, a couple of years uh, of intensity and, and working really closely with people. And then please God, <laughs> everyone can, we can pass the baton yeah, and everyone. Can yeah. Yeah. Well, Amy, thanks so much. Uh, it's great to have you on. Thank you. That was Amy Keane from DICE and huge thanks again to Amy for joining us. We'll be exploring a lot of those issues in even greater depth when we get to the GovX Digital Conference on the 17th to the 19th of November. Inclusion and diversity have multiple dimensions and aspects when considered in the context of public sector, from the way in which they're at play inside the public sector bodies, through to how they impact outcomes and results for citizens in society. We have multiple topics and streams running throughout three days and it's a great chance to explore and communicate with your peers about some of the issues and develop practical outcomes that you can take back to your day job. If you've not signed up already it's free to register for public sector executives. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes below and sign up. We hope to see you there and we'll be back soon with another episode of the GovX show. Bye bye.